0: Hi everybody. Am I on? Can you hear me? Good. Okay. I'm John. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who's in recovery for codependency. And would you please join me in prayer tonight? John. Hey. Father, you know every detail of the journey I've been on, as well as that of every person in this room. I pray that I as attempt to relate my story you would speak clearly through me and possibly touch the life of someone in this room tonight. Thank you for the trials. Even though you have taken me around them, even though you haven't taken me through them, you have taken me around them and you faithfully led me and shown me what a powerful God you are. I pray that you would show the same power, grace and mercy to everyone in this room. Give them hope. Thank you, Lord. Go. We go. So I grew up in a modest middle-class neighborhood in Chicago. Memories of my early childhood are mostly happy. I was a lucky kid to be able to get out of the city to spend many summers on my uncle's farm in Kansas where I enjoyed endless days with my cousin experiencing a life very different from that in the big city. When not on my uncle's farm, my mother would cart me and my friends off to the swimming pool and even Cubs and White Sox games. We lived across the street from a park many decades before parks were a prime spot for drug deals. That meant plenty of time for football, basketball, baseball, and even hockey games on a pond they would, the park would freeze for the winter. I had a pretty good life until around the age of 12 when my mother went off the deep end suffering from schizophrenia. Her paranoia caused her to accuse my father of having an affair with the pastor's wife along with many other bizarre behaviors. She would run around the house out of control saying that my father was poisoning her coffee. A young boy believes almost everything his mother says but this was way too out of character for the man I knew my father to be. He was a kind, generous, witty guy who everyone loved. I just couldn't buy it. There are a lot of changes going on in a 12-year-old guy and this craziness left me confused, torn between my parents and stressed out in a manner someone heading into his tough adolescent years shouldn't have to experience. I was brought up in an extremely legalistic church that had me believing that if something was fun, it must be a sin. I sometimes felt I was hanging by a thread over hell. My mother fully promoted this idea in a very simple-minded and stubborn way that caused many conflicts as I moved into my teenage years and began questioning things. There was conflict and craziness in our home, and my reaction was rebellion. A friend from the neighborhood and I used to get into his father's liquor cabinet, get loaded, and then water the liquor down. Along with other friends, we experimented with sniffing glue and drinking bottles of cough syrup which contained codeine. I absolutely loved the escape from reality I was experiencing. When a friend from school turned me on to marijuana, I was hooked. Back in those days, there were some very exaggerated ideas about marijuana, and that led me to become skeptical about what was said about all drugs in general, and I began using a variety of them. I particularly liked downers, which put me in a welcome welcome euphoric state. This was back in the 60s, when the hippie movement was happening, and LSD was quite available, so of course I was doing it. I continued hanging around a group that got deeper and deeper into drugs, and I was right there with them. One of my friends died in a car crash while driving on downers. My reaction to that tragedy was that that kind of thing would never happen to me. Another one of my close friends got heavily into hard drugs. Then one day, I got a call from his mother telling me he had died of cardiac arrest, translate overdose. She asked me to be a pallbearer at his funeral. Seeing his mother, a normally very jolly person, crying uncontrollably had a big impact on me, but not enough to make me stop using. Much later in my life, my closest friend, who I had grown up next door to, had become a serious alcoholic. He was a functioning alcoholic and maintained a good job, but his evenings were spent in isolation, heavy drinking, and deep depression. Eventually, it got to a point where it was no fun to be around him. We did, however, keep in touch, even as my jobs had me moving all over the country. While in Boston, one night I got a call from him. He told me he had a gun and it was going to end his life. I was able to cover the phone and tell my wife what was going on. She called 911 while I kept him on the phone. The police arrived and his life was spared. The gun was an illegal firearm, but the court agreed to drop charges if he went into rehab. He completed a short stint there and then went right back to drinking. But by the grace of God, a short while later, he checked back into rehab, began to work the AA program. He stayed sober and our relationship grew. Unfortunately, many years of alcohol abuse had taken its toll on him. Then one day I got a call from his mother informing me he was on life support. I rushed back to Illinois, hoping to speak some last words to him, but he was in a coma and there was no recognition that I was even there. The death toll was rising, as I now had lost three close friends because of substance abuse. My life was beginning to straighten out somewhat and drugs were in the past, but there was still something missing. Although I believed that God existed, My legalistic upbringing had me completely void of any understanding of or desire for a relationship with him. Despite my time as a youth in church and Sunday school, I had never heard that Jesus died on the cross for me. I thought religion was nothing but rules designed to suck the joy out of people. Then in 1995, I attended a Promise Keepers event at the Oakland Coliseum where I saw men who appeared to be truly joyful and actually having fun. This is not the way I had come to view religious people. The music from the Maranatha Promise Keepers Band really struck a chord with me. Pun. Uh, There I saw 60,000 men on their knees in prayer at the same place where the Raiders played football any Raiders fans oh. that's okay I'm a Niners fan sorry about that uh, There, hearing the band play an inspired then hearing the band play an inspired version of holy 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 I was ready and turned my life over to Jesus I immediately felt the Holy Spirit washing over me, and I began to experience the joy that those other men had. John 15, 11 says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. Now fast forward to when I had two children in high school. I figured since my kids didn't have to grow up with a mother suffering from mental illness, didn't have to deal with the legalism I had experienced, and attended a good Christian school, that they would turn out just fine. But then the telltale signs began to surface, and it became obvious that my son was messing with marijuana. Although I wasn't happy about this, I figured most kids were at least dabbling in it, and I figured it wouldn't amount to much. At least I hoped so. I was wrong. Eventually, we discovered prescription pain meds missing along with money, jewelry, and electronics. We contacted Scott Miller, and he told us we had to set boundaries and get him out of the house if he was using. I felt this man was over the top. (laughs) He was right, but I was clearly in denial. Eventually, our son moved from pain meds to heroin, and a life in and out of rehabs, living on the streets, and overdoses that came dangerously close to taking his life. Why was this happening to me? I had lost three close friends to substance abuse, and as disturbing as that was, the thought of losing my own son was just totally unbearable. I began to ask God, why you would allow my son to be born if this was the life he was destined to live. My faith was wearing thin. Hanging onto the thread of faith I had left, I would be reminded of Mark nine twenty four, which says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Being your typical guy, I went to work to fix the situation. That's what us codependents do. Can you say codependent? That was me. Most of my hard work was extremely misguided. I was beginning to come out of denial somewhat, but fell prey to the codependent behaviors of controlling, enabling, anger, bitterness, and resentment, and shaming. I would spend countless hours on a website from our cell phone carrier that detailed my son's calls and texts. I would take the numbers I gathered using online lookup services find out what person or place owned the number. Then I discovered that if I entered a phone number in a Facebook search, it would take me to that person's page. It was easy to determine who the drug users and dealers were. The carrier website allowed me to put a label on each phone number and I could now track wherever he, whenever he was contacting any of these people. Perfect, I was in control. Looking back, I have absolutely no clue what I was hoping to accomplish. All this did was to severely increase my my already high anxiety level. It was a desperate attempt to control something that was beyond my control. Enabling was a huge problem for me. Despite the numerous times I had been deceived, I continued to be naive and believe my son's stories. Maybe I didn't believe them as much as wanting to believe them. After all, shouldn't a good parent be helping his son? I had a lot to learn. Whenever I got angry with him, it often led to me shaming him. I would explode at him and tell him he was destroying everyone who loved him. This would upset him, and that is exactly what I wanted to do. It made me so angry to think that a substance abuser could escape their emotional pain while I had no way to escape mine. One time I put him up in an out of town motel to detox with the agreement that he would enter a rehab in Stockton. I took all of his clothes in an effort to keep him from running. When I picked him up, he didn't wanna go. I pushed the issue and got him into the car. We stopped for a bathroom break along the way and he started walking away. I was furious and ran after him. I tried to force him back into the car when an off-duty fireman who was passing by intervened, saying he had no right to force him into the car. The whole situation was ridiculous since I was still recovering from a very recent knee replacement and seriously could not have run after him but for the gentleman resulting from my rage. Out of anger, I had tried to control my son into doing something he was not ready for nor committed to doing. That anger only served to hurt me both physically and emotionally. One of the unfortunate things about dealing with a substance abuser is that it usually has a devastating effect on relationships among your other loved ones. That was particularly true in my marriage. My wife and I always seem to be on opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of how to deal with the situation. This would lead to heated arguments over which was the best of two equally bad ideas. At this point, I hadn't yet learned that anger can be a secondary emotion for the pain one is experiencing. There is a saying that hurting people hurt people. This was true of us, and we came dangerously close to destroying our marriage i would get so mad at my son my wife god and the rest of the world i kept asking the question can't he see this makes no sense why doesn't he just quit i had a lot of bitterness and resentment towards him my wife and anyone offering me useless advice i remember at a later time when i was attending cr hearing that Bitterness is like taking the poison and expecting the other person to die. I was a long way from understanding this, and the bitterness and resentment just kept building in me, sucking the life out of me. I became more and more isolated. I didn't want to be around other people and hear about the good things happening in their lives. When someone would ask about my son, it was particularly depressing. I didn't wanna speak honestly because of my pride. I felt that I would be looked upon as a failure at parenting. It was getting crazier for me as more and more of his high school classmates were getting ahead in life, graduating college and are getting married. It was depressing. Things were not good and I saw no end in sight. Then one night, my wife asked me to go to a party. This is absolutely the last thing I wanted to do. But for some reason, I reluctantly agreed to go. There I met a man who I made an immediate connection with. Everything about his life was a parallel to mine, only more so. He had two sons who struggled with substance abuse. He had been separated from his wife for over four years, but amazingly, they had reconciled. This man understood. He was easy to talk to because he totally got it. We spent the whole evening sharing experiences. He told me about a Celebrate Recovery group called COCA, which stood for Codependence with a Chemical Addict. He said the group consisted of only himself and one other guy. He invited me to join them. Although I was at a place where I didn't really want to talk to people about what was going on, I felt this guy was different, and I figured at least I would be comfortable with him. The next week I went. The testimony that night spoke powerfully to me as I heard the story of someone who had gone through years of multiple rehabs and relapses and had achieved a long period of sobriety. This person gave credit to God and CR. This gave me hope for my son. I was now ready to go to an open share group and learn how to fix my son. (laughs) Little did I understand that this was not possible and the only person I had any hope of fixing was myself. The weeks went by and slowly, one by one, more men came into the group. Some of those early brothers like Steve J, Mark C, Jeff G. have been critical in my recovery and have been faithful prayer warriors supporting myself and each other during our darker moments. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Doug M., one of the two originals in the group, kept repeating the point that the real growth in CR comes in the step studies. I became convicted that I needed to progress further along on the road of recovery and decided to give it a try. Thank you, Doug, for driving this home to me. I then asked David F., the man who first invited me to CR, to be my sponsor. Thank you, Dave. You have been an awesome friend. I couldn't have made this journey without you. I love you, brother. In the beginning, every time I would leave for the step study, it took everything in me to keep from turning around and heading back home. Step studies can be tough, and Satan will present you with every possible excuse to get you to drop out. He doesn't want you to have victory over your hurts, habits, and hangups. Don't let him win. While in the step study, my wife and I were not in a good place, my daughter wasn't speaking to me, and my son overdosed in Seattle, coming with inches of his life, requiring several doses of Narcan to revive him. God knew I needed to be in that stuff study and put Dave F. in my life to help guide me through those very dark times. God's timing truly is perfect. I can't say that things got better quickly. Recovery takes time and God has his own timing. When good things would happen, I would be on top of the world. When bad things happened, I would sink into depression. We talk in our open share group about staying off the roller coaster ride. When the roller coaster climbs to the top, life couldn't be better. But when it reaches the top, all too often you go soaring down at breakneck speed to the lowest of lows. We joke about only riding the kitty roller coaster where the, highs, <laughs> where the highs may not be as high, but the lows aren't as low. I have since co-facilitated and completed several step studies and had the privilege of sponsoring several men. In each step study, I have gained new insights and a deeper understanding of how the 12 steps and eight biblical principles work to bring about recovery and a life of greater peace and freedom from the chains Satan wants to bind us with. I am slowly learning that when I find myself becoming anxious, stressed, angry, or resentful, to go back to steps one to three, where I am reminded that I am powerless. However, if I surrender the situation to God, he is the all-powerful one who is really in control. After all, God is God, and I certainly am not. Matthew 19.26 says, with men this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. I know that with God in my life, surrender is strength and not weakness. Second Corinthians 12.9 says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. The step I am currently currently finding important to me is the 10th which reads we continue to take personal inventory and when we are wrong promptly admitted it as god works on me i endeavor to recognize that when things escalate i need to step back see what my part is in this situation set my pride and ego aside and admit where i may be wrong and do this as quickly as possible I'm endeavoring to learn to apply the acronym Q-tip, which stands for quit taking it personally, something I'm prone to doing. I've learned through doing my personal inventory in step four that it is more important to take care of my side of the street than trying to control the other person and change their behavior. As the saying goes, let go and let God. Today, I can say that much has improved in my life, in no small part because of Celebrate Recovery. Our family has been restored, and by the grace of God, my son is heading towards three years of sobriety. Awesome, God. Uh, He's married and has a daughter, my precious little granddaughter, Scarlett. What a gift from God she is. He is currently working his 12th step by leading the landing program here, which ministers to junior high and high school age young men and women. He has also shared his story in schools and public forums. Amazingly, he accomplished all of this without me fixing him. One thing I've learned is that codependency is no different from chemical, sexual, or food addiction, and that it is a part of you that is always there. Through recovery, we make great strides and have tremendous victories, but the moment I believe I've got this, I'm likely headed for trouble. This is the reason I have found steps 10 to 12, also known as the maintenance steps, so important. Another thing I've learned about codependency is that even though I was motivated to recognize it and work on it because of the substance abuse in my family, it affects so many other areas of my life. I am learning that not only is it not my responsibility to fix people, but that I don't have to do everything for them. This robs them of the opportunity to empower themselves. When we began this journey with our son, my wife and I floundered around with knowing how to handle the challenges we faced. Other than a handful of books on addiction, there was little out there to help us. It's been my privilege to have worked alongside Scott and Susie Miller and other parents in CR to create a ministry called Parenting Addicted Children. This eight-week parent-led program is focused on providing tools to help those who are struggling to regain peace of mind and find hope for tomorrow. If that is you, I encourage you to call the church office and talk to Beth, or watch right here at CR for an announcement once the next class is scheduled to begin. In addition to David F. and Doug M., who I spoke of earlier, and the guys in my open share, I want to mention Scott Miller, that guy who I really didn't care for at first. (laughs) Thank you for speaking the truth and love to me and taking a personal interest in our family. If you hear this, Scott, I wanna thank you. You have been a tremendous blessing to our family in so many ways. To the newcomer, I encourage you to give this thing called Celebrate Recovery a chance. In five years at CR, I have witnessed so many lives changed. Come back to be encouraged by the teachings and the testimonies. Then take the next step and join an open share group where you can gain insight and encouragement from others that share similar hurts, habits, and hang-ups. There it is my prayer that you will establish relationships with these people who can walk the journey of recovery with you. Finally, when you are ready, Join a step study where I guarantee that you will find insight and gain tools to help you conquer those hurts, habits, and hang ups that are dragging you down. Thank you for letting me share tonight.